The Start on Demand. On demand. As Winnipeg's homicide tally has now reached 40, the record is 41 in 2011. We speak with Winnipeg Police Inspector Max Waddell about guns and gangs to find out just how bad the problem has become in Winnipeg. Winnipeg is the NHL player's most dreaded city to visit because it's just dirty. That headline has Mackling annoyed. We'll tell you about the 150 Manitoba Women Trailblazers Awards. Hal Anderson joins us to talk about the Mom Cave. And we're going to get fired up over ice fishing for the Winnipeg Ice Fishing Show. I'm Brett McGarry, alongside Greg Mackling and Loren McNabb. We are Mackling, McGarry and McNabb, and this is the Wednesday, November 6th podcast for The Start. Mackling, McGarry and McNabb, and I want to start by providing an important update to at least two of our listeners who provided what turned out to be a very helpful tactic and technique to get me going in the morning. I was, we were all lamenting how it's winter, and I suggested that I need to get a better remote car starter because I'm up on the 16th floor of my apartment building, and the range on my starter is not so great. Well, one listener, Eve was one of them, who texts us all the time, and there was a second listener who didn't catch the name, but they both said, hold your remote starter to your chin, and the electrical current from your brain <laughs> will help amplify the signal. So I tried it this morning. I stood by the window, hit the starter and rolled the dice, went downstairs 10 minutes later and my car was running. Oh, wow. I couldn't believe it. Brett, the human antenna. I don't, uh, I feel like there needs to be a study on how unhealthy <laughs> this must be for your brain. That doesn't seem right. But electromagnetic currents, that was the That reason? was the suggestion from what <laughs> I recall from the text messages. It's something about using your own body's, well, and, and like, have you ever been listening to a radio, say, on your headphones, or even a handheld radio. Yep. And if you hold it closer to your head, the signal gets stronger. Stronger, yeah. So I, need I the, guess it's the same premise. I need the opposite. I have, after I hit that last year, I got a car that has the automatic little stop, the gas lights, and like it's oh, so yeah. quiet. Sure. Chevy Cruze. And I have twice now just left it running while I've gone into a store. Oh, because okay. it's so quiet. <laughs> so I'm, I, I know, I feel like I, I know I hit the button, but maybe not hard enough, sure. you know, to shut it off. And then I'll come back out. I was at Costco and I was like, oh, dear God, this car has been running the entire time. Husband, if you're listening, I'm sorry for when it gets stolen. <laughs> Labor Day, 1998, my buddy Johnny and I were driving from Chicago to St. Louis. Uh, we were on a pilgrimage to see Mark McGuire break Roger Maris's home run record, mm. uh, which we eventually did uh, witness in St. Louis. But the antenna on my buddy's Honda Civic had been stolen mm. along our journey. Somebody ripped it right off, vandalized, I guess, because it would have been useless. And my buddy John, such a trooper, were driving the interstate from Chicago to St. Louis so we could listen to the baseball game on Labor Day Monday, holding the little nub <laughs> that was left on the roof of his of his vehicle for about three hours using his body as a as an antenna so that we could tune in the St. Louis radio station to listen to the game at 65 miles an hour on the interstate. I will never forget Johnny's selflessness on that trip so that we could listen to that game. Joe Buck, Jack Buck's dad, calling the play-by-play, -play, and we're pretty sure he was hammered by the fifth inning because he started telling war stories and stuff. It was it was so cool. <laughs> was wow. So, oh, yeah, for sure he was drinking in the booth. Oh, my God. It was absolutely fantastic stuff. Anyway, sorry for the digression. No, don't be sorry. That's a neat story. And, and as you pointed out, an act of true selflessness to hold the <laughs> antenna for three hours. At what speed were you going? Well, at least 65 on the interstate. Miles, Miles per hour, for what, sure. What's that translate to in uh, About 110, kilometers. 112, something Oof. like that. Wow, okay. that's, that's, that could be chilly. He had lots of bugs on his hand. Oh, God. <laughs> okay, so um, we got to switch gears here because we need to talk about guns and gangs and ask the question, are our politicians taking crime? Seriously. Well, they're certainly talking about it. And the mayor made a promise yesterday that he's going to bring it to the prime minister. And the premier said he thought that conversation should continue. And the premier and the minister of justice vowed that something will be done about liquor mart thefts. And so they're certainly talking about it, which which is fine. It's just I wonder what the timeline is for action. Well, on the threshold and what words and terminologies are we using? Right. We've been using the word 
crisis in connection with meth for going on a year and a half in this community now. Some, I, I believe there are some that are reluctant to use that terminology. Uh, do we need to change the language? Are we in a crisis with regard to crime? Are we in an emergency in regard to crime? Premier Pallister had some interesting comments on that. We'll play for you in about a half hour's time and and his stance on, on where we're at and uh, his meeting with uh, Justin Trudeau coming up on Friday. At 6.15 in our next segment. Mm-hmm. Greg is, I'm just, all I'm going to say right now is Greg has some early morning anger for the early morning risers. And I'm looking forward to this because when we pitch the story, Greg's like, ah, I don't know why we beat ourselves up like this. It's garbage. So we'll uh, unfurl that. We've got Howie Mandel tickets to give away at 6.37. At 7.45, we have tickets for John Cleese, Last Time to See Me Before I Die. That show is tonight at the Centennial Concert Hall. And I'll be there doing a Q- I get to do a Q&A with them at the end of the show. Are you going to be cool. doing calisthenics today? Or are you going to be pumping yourself up to make sure, you know, you look just right in your suit tonight? I think you've got to and... pump your brain up, brain up for a conversation with John Cleese oh. because he's so clever. I think you just need to see. Well, we know from experience. Yeah. You just sort of have to plant a seed and uh, just the tiniest start of a trail yep. for him to follow. And you just... He goes. Yeah, so I'm looking very much forward to that because it's going to be an audience interaction Q&A from what I understand. I think they're going to be passing around an iPad or something for you to add your question. So if you're going to the show tonight, you will have the opportunity to ask a question to John Cleese through me as I sit on the stage at the end of uh, the show at the Centennial Concert Hall and just try to not to make an absolute fool out of myself because I suspect if I do, he will comedically eviscerate me. Okay, so you're going to be on stage with John Cleese tonight. I'm going to be at an event with Ken Dryden on. on Sunday, right? Lawyer, former politician, maybe one of the one of the smartest people in Canada. Most importantly, though, goalie. Most importantly, goalie, of course. But <laughs> d- just, yes, that whole idea of, you know what, you can't keep up with these guys intellectually, so just lay the carpet, roll out the red carpet, and let them walk down it, I think is the best strategy here. Yeah, I never quite understand when you see interviews or anything where the interviewer seems to want, they're trying to get a leg up on this person like forget the, it you're the, you're this person is there for you to talk to for them to be in the spotlight like especially put the spotlight especially if you've paid tickets for something right like you're there to hear that person not the moderator or the Q&A guy or mm-hmm. the interviewer you mm-hmm. paid to hear John speak or Ken Dryden come to see him right like that, that's, oh, there's that's no what question. you're there for yeah Mackling McGarry and McNabb this next story annoys the heck out of Greg. So, as I said this morning, naturally, we're going to play it. It revolves around that... Well, it's never too early to try to get you wild up. So, this revolves around that NHL poll. It's done every single year on which which city players love or, in this case, hate the most. First, our friends over at Global, Lisa Dutton and Mike Conkin, break it down for us. It may be tough to convince Jets fans that Winnipeg isn't an ideal hockey town. According to some NHLers, our city gets the short end of the stick from visiting teams. Of the 50 players polled, this is just 50. In a new ESPN survey, 42% said Winnipeg was the worst city to visit. Buffalo wasn't far behind at 34%, while Edmonton rounds out the top three. Among the comments criticizing our city, it's so depressing that you don't want to leave your hotel. Another player calls Winnipeg dirty and feels like he needs to wash his face after going outside. Not the nicest, but keep in mind, they're coming from just warm places. They're coming from Florida, which is unnatural to have hockey in general. In the words of Stephanie Tanner from Full House, how rude. So rude or accurate, Greg? Who cares what these guys say? (laughs) First and foremost, they come here in the worst time of the year. Who amongst us hasn't said exactly the same things about Winnipeg in the dead of winter? Never mind at Portage in Maine. They see Portage in Maine to Donald and Portage. They see very little of our city. They're on a bus, and I'm sure the bus takes them through the most glorious parts of Winnipeg. Oh, all the way from down the airport Ellis down Ellis, I'm oh, sure. it's such a glamour route, and that's a true representation of what Winnipeg is all about. They have this survey every year, and Winnipeg and Buffalo and Edmonton get the short end of the stick. And you know what? I don't care. It doesn't bug me in the least. It's not a story to me because we all feel this. We've all said this. How about yesterday? When we went outside, how many of us went, I wish I lived anybody anywhere but here? As much as we love it, 
We love to hate it as well. And when people from other places slag us, I get it. We get our backs up. But you know what? They speak the truth from what they know based on their experience and their limited exposure. These guys don't come here in June, July, or August. They don't see the canopy of beautiful trees. They don't see Winnipeg at its finest. And you know what? I'm totally okay with it. The the point that you raised, that was a good one. It's the... um it's the same thing we do when you bring friends who land at the airport and you try to bring them downtown. I had friends in on the weekend from Ottawa and driving them from the airport to downtown is not the nicest of routes, depending on which way you go. And so the very first day she was like, didn't really have much to say. And then the second day I was like, I'm going to do this again. Cross Provence, made her get out of the car in St. Boniface. We did a walk by the river, looked back at the Human Rights Museum, went through the forks. She went to the Human Rights Museum. Like We did it differently. And she's like, wow, this is super pretty but i know she wasn't thinking that the day before 100%. based on the way we took so your point about like the route they take from the airport they land downtown if they do walk to the rink they might they can't cross port of jermaine and then they get stuck underground or you end up at a dollarama or a dollar tree or a bargain store or a pay less for cash whatever those <laughs> stores are like it's all it's not it isn't pretty it's not the so best side right if we need we should think about that not I think we should so. get hurt by it we should think about the same way you take someone on a tour this is what some of the richest players in the world are landing here and being like, oh. Our name, the name Winnipeg is literally Muddy Water. <laughs> okay? It's right in the name. <laughs> Text us your thoughts. Here's a tweet from Brent Bellamy, who's on this radio station often. He uh, has all kinds of stuff to say about urban issues in our city. And we retweeted this, so if you want to see the picture that he grabbed you can go to at 680 cjob brent says i have never understood why we've designed our urban residential landscapes to be so artificial that everyone has to collect the leaves that fall off trees put them in bags and have big trucks drive around to pick them up and cart them away it seems so unnatural and this picture which appears to be in river heights i count one two three four five six seven eight nine ten eleven twelve thirteen fourteen fifteen at least 20 bags of leaves along the lawn here so it's kind of a funny picture when you see that many bags of leaves, but I have to admit I have never thought about that being unnatural or artificial. So it is unnatural, but we live in a city, which is also unnatural. If we lived in the woods, it would be really weird, but I think in a city it works. Who gave you the right to be the voice of reason Sorry. this morning? Okay, so the raking con- leaves in the woods. Now that that's the epitome well, of that's when pres- you know someone's President government. Trump says they do it in Finland and that they should do it in oh, California right. in order to mitigate yeah. the you know the forest fire risk. But that's a whole other discussion, apparently. So, what do you think, Kelly? Uh, that it's unnatural. Yeah. Well, what do you think about his his thought? Uh, I looked at that and I thought, you know, there's some merit to it. Uh, and, and I know we had uh, uh, Ray Dubois on from Ron Paul not so long ago on Jeff Courier's show. Mm-hmm. And, you know, you do want to re- remove some of the leaves, but it's also a good idea to mulch them up and just leave them on the lawn and on your garden bed. So, I don't know. I mean, I, maybe 50% I'm, uh, I, I'm in agreement with this, but I don't think you want a great big pile of leaves to have to clean up in the spring either. Is there is part of the thing like is there an issue if you leave the leaves in the ground, what will happen? Like we have one tree. I will, we do not rake our front lawn, but we have one tree, and so those leaves by the time the snow falls have scattered elsewhere. But if everyone did that, and there was Your all sorts of love you. well, and then, honestly, we're in like one of those new suburbs, subdivisions, whatever you want to call it, and. Uh, there's hardly any trees in those neighborhoods, which yeah. is the sad part. So, therefore, I think we might be the only tree on the, in the whole circle. Would so, they, I'm, my leaves aren't buggy. But is there an issue? Like, yeah, would they clog drains on the street or anything like that? I don't yes. know. I've always lived in apartments and condos, so I've never. Yeah, I've no, literally the, never. I don't think I've ever raked a yard in my life. Yeah, good for you. We, had, oh. we, had, we lived on a new street when I was a kid, too. The tree had like six leaves on it, so it wasn't an issue. <laughs> Yeah, I, I do know that uh, the city doesn't want you raking your leaves out onto the road and and then no. clogging up. Well, no, but you should see. I know I many people a, do it. Yeah, I, I know. live on a heavily treated street, and, and there are tons of leaves. And so I make a, a point of uh, grabbing my rake and cleaning all of the leaves off of our trees off the road and, put a, and, and bagging them up unnaturally. Sorry, Brent Bellamy. 
But, uh, yeah, you know, th- this year, after listening to, to Ray, I, I didn't quite get the lawnmower out of time to mulch the leaves. So we'll see how it works with uh, all of these extra leaves on the on the lawn and uh, see how it comes through next spring. I'm, I'm not against the idea of mulching or whatever, but I like my lawn in the summertime. I like it to be green. I don't like dandelions, so I make sure that it's dandelion yeah. free i like my flowers it's pretty for me i don't care if my neighbors do it or not yeah we invest that we invest in lawn care for, you know what i mean yeah, to, to try to get rid of that yeah you know i don't have a i don't have a what do you call it in Minnedosa? dugout to swim in and so we have an unnatural swimming pool in our backyard too you know so um, an unnatural I don't know. Swimming pool. <laughs> <laughs> we put chlorine in it and everything so wow. i don't know i just uh, i yeah. i agree with brent on a lot of stuff this one i can't get behind but i think there's a concept or an idea out there that we've created this the, what is the list of ideals like the dandelions thing everyone mm-hmm. gets so upset about it because we've decided they're not supposed to be on our lawns and um drop having this conversation in the last half hour about taking people on tours of Winnipeg and when one of my friends did go to the Human Rights Museum they're like oh what's with the grass out here like does nobody mow the grass and because they planted that natural (laughs) prairie grass stuff which is what's supposed to be on the prairies and they do it developments and defensemen from the Florida Panthers on the sidewalk taking notes for the survey don't they they mow the lawns in Winnipeg but that's the natural habitat but we've decided that's unnatural looking so there is a conversation worth having about what we've created a list of things that should or shouldn't be happening that are, are beautiful based on you know things that are not part of the natural environment well you just want your property to look good so yeah for, for me i know if i had a property i live in an apartment if i had a property i would be raking it because i'm ocd and i want everything to look clean and spick and span jeff do you want to come live with me no i don't <laughs> <laughs> i have a really great space in the basement that's just perfect for you drums and everything oh well, Bellamy, he, tweet, he followed up his tweet with another picture. He says, here's an interesting subdivision outside of Winnipeg in Headingley. So the front third of every yard is a naturalized prairie grass landscape. Even though it's quite beautiful, they couldn't bring themselves to completely ignore social convention. So behind that, immediately in front of each house, <laughs> is a typical grass carpet. Would you want... Would any of you want a big prairie grass landscape in front of your home? Well, some of the prairie grasses are quite pretty. Until I'm they dry out and look like yeah. they look like a fire hazard. No, we, we have that outside of our backyard. We live right on the edge of a conservation park. Mm-hmm. So we have that, and <laughs> it, it all grows through the chain link fence by the uh, near the end of the summer, and it's not a great look, really, to tell you the truth. Yeah. You have to trim it? Yeah, I uh, wonder if anybody's listening. <laughs> I, I take some grass clippings and right along the right along the edge of the uh, chain link fence to try to keep the grass down a little bit. But oh. Don't <laughs> tell anybody. You won't tell a soul, Kelly. Yeah. When they close all the pedicure and manicure shops in Winnipeg, then I'll consider not raking my lawn. We all like to be pretty, right? We like to look nice. We like to take care of things. Once manscaping isn't a thing anymore, then we can have the conversation about leaving the lathe, <laughs> oh, leaves on okay, the front that's lawn. That's where you're going with that. I was yeah, thinking, huh? how, how do pedicures and manicures? <laughs> Manicured lawn. Well, okay, gotcha. This morning, we're obviously talking a lot this week about a record that I think nobody's proud of. Uh, it's it's sadly going to likely be broken, and that is, of course, the homicide rate in Winnipeg. We hit 40 Monday night. The record is 41. That was set in 2011. We've talked for years, it feels like, about the meth crisis, and we know guns are also on the rise. And our question this morning is about gangs. Inspector Max Waddell of the Winnipeg Police Service is with the Guns and Gangs Unit and is in studio. Good morning, Max. Good morning. Let's just start with the gang issue. We had the chief of police on last week talking about how 30% of the homicides in Winnipeg in the last few years are generally gang-related. Is that number on the rise? I would say it is uh, specifically this year. Um, I mean, the gang numbers overall in the city of Winnipeg have remained uh, fairly uh, stagnant. Um, but uh, with respect to violent crime, yes, this year would definitely be uh, an increase. Do we know why? Is there is there infighting or fighting between gangs? Like, what would be contributing to that? Well, one of the contributors is around the illicit drug trade. Uh, gang members uh, utilize firearms to protect not only uh, uh, their their own drugs, but uh, prevent themselves from other gang members. So they're competing over territories, they're competing over business, and that can often cause conflict. Do we know who the gangs are? How on top of this are we, Max? 
Well, yeah, we have a dedicated unit uh, that is focused solely on uh, suppressing gangs, and we have a, a gang strategy that we uh, rely on to uh, to give us our direction. Uh, I can tell you we make literally hundreds of arrests of gang members every single year, but uh, until we address root cause problems, uh, we're this is not going to change. I've always said this idea and, and proclaimed the thought that uh, kids want to belong. And when I grew up, I chose a hockey crest on the front of my hockey jersey over a crest on the back of a leather jacket. Both were options to me where I grew up. That was the decision that my family made to help make for me. Others go the other way. It's a sense of belonging for a lot of folks. I would concur with that. And, you know, with the uh, a large uh, a newcomer community uh, coming to Winnipeg, uh, them not really knowing or, or fitting in uh, with society here in Winnipeg, uh, at least initially, uh, they're looking for uh, that bond, that mentorship piece, etc. And uh, uh, they're preyed upon. And when they're preyed upon, uh, it's the lure of not only belonging, but it's money, it's monetary value, it's, uh, it's things that they normally wouldn't be able to have. So with this, uh, what you mentioned is a rise in violence between gangs. How many gangs are we talking about? You said it's stagnant in terms of the numbers. So how many and, and who are they in terms of familiarity for names? Well, I, I really don't ever like to name gangs because I don't like to give them any notoriety, so to speak. But I can tell you that our best guess is there's around 1,500 uh, active gang members in the 1,500? city. 1,500? And there's about 2,500 associates. What we're seeing now is is a change for uh, gang members in the sense that they don't want to identify as gang members. Now, you just talked about the crest on their back. They want to do exactly the opposite to that now right. because what that is is that's a red flag. And as police officers, when we see someone uh, wearing a certain color or an identifier, uh, that's an alert to us to take action. Uh, similarly, uh, the courts also uh, take a stronger position against individuals once they're confirmed. So really, people are trying not to identify with gangs, but are still conducting the same business. I just want to go back to those numbers for a second. You're talking how many? You're talking members. That's correct. So the 1,500 members, 2,500 associates. So there's 4,000 people at minimum involved in gang activity in this city. That is correct. And you know, you could ballpark it maybe around I don't know 25 to 30 different gangs that that number is spread out amongst. That's uh, one in 200 Winnipegers, roughly. That's good math. That's a, that's, a, that's, that's a huge number in my mind. How dramatically has that changed over the last decade? It, it really, those numbers have remained quite uh, static. Really? Uh, yeah, which is, is interesting. Um, it's just that we've seen uh, the division amongst them. Uh, we've seen splinters. So what used to be an original gang 10 years ago has now tripled uh, in the sense that they've splintered off two to three times. Uh, and that's, again, because of infighting or also to avoid detection. And in, in, in a court of law, uh, if we can uh, not be able to prove structure or hierarchy, uh, they're less likely to face uh, more significant, significant charges. So it's, it's to their benefit legally to, to splinter off to a certain extent. That's right. And that's another challenge for law enforcement is, is that every time we put a case before the courts, we have to give disclosure on our tactics and our techniques about how we were able to uh, bring them before the courts. And so, of course, criminals learn from uh, the past, and uh, this is what we face today. Because they become a, a matter of public record at that point. That is correct. Is this is this from particular countries that people are coming from, or is it just a general theme that when they come and they're lonely and they don't know how to fit in, they might fall into the gang activity? No, we can say with some form of certainty, uh, uh, some new uh, newcomers from uh, uh, countries such as Somalia, uh, Kenya, Congo, uh, those types of communities um, where they've come really from a very violent uh, background. Uh, it's not abnormal for them to have witnessed those types of violent acts. So when they do arrive uh, in Canada and they are, uh, I guess, become part of a gang, uh, for them to commit those types of violent acts is really not uh, out of the ordinary for them to uh, to be a part of. Is there an intervention plan at that level? I know we had an education coordinator in yesterday talking about trying to target that, but that sounds like a specific that we could get at. Yeah, there's most certainly some great work being uh, done in the community, uh, specifically that community where they are trying to find programs and, and really putting plans in place for families to uh, divert these young, uh, um, mainly men, from, from joining gangs. Uh, in our Winnipeg Police Service, we have a dedicated gang prevention coordinator uh, that meets with these individuals uh, as often as they need, uh, working closely with the province of Manitoba Community Support Branch as well. And uh, it's really just about, uh, as we've said, giving these kids a sense of belonging and, and providing. You mentioned, uh, I just wanted to talk about that being part of the issue and trying to target uh, what you know might be a problem in terms of people coming in and, and having those concerns and trying to fit in. And then in the commercial break, we were just talking about shows like 
uh, El Chapo and, and talking about the cartel and the things that we, we kind of uh, fictionalize about drugs. And you said that that's one of the greatest threats to Winnipeg, the, the influence of uh, the cartel. Well, the, the threat is, is is the distribution of illicit drugs and uh, what goes along with that. And that's it's that's addiction issues. And we all know that with methamphetamine, uh, it can be absolutely just trying this drug one time and, and you were addicted. And, and we know that it can take up to a year to get someone off of uh, methamphetamine. And that's putting massive strain not only on frontline resources, but on health care and, and society as a whole. Is that where the drugs are coming from as well? Uh, the the primary from Mexico? Uh, yeah the primary distributors would be uh, from Mexico and yeah. guns as well no I, I wouldn't say guns are coming from Mexico I mean the largest gun manufacturer in the world is uh, an hour and a half from here just south of the border so I would suggest uh, a good portion of them are, are coming from the United States you know Max I know you didn't grow up in Winnipeg but we used to have a police officer named Richard Jones back in the day and he would come to school and he would tell us all about the perils of of getting involved in crime breaking enters back in in my day and and uh, gangs weren't really a big issue but that's a conversation uh, that I think needs to be had to just maybe that frank reality of if you choose path A here's what you can expect if you choose path path B it might be a little bit better for you but that whole thing with regard to methamphetamine you know we know kids are going to try stuff they're going to do things that we don't want them to but I just keep hammering I've got 13 year old twin boys and I tell them guys there are things in life where you you get an opportunity to make up for your mistakes with meth. You may never get a, ch- a second chance because it is so addictive. Yeah, the properties uh, that go along with the uh, altering of the brain about how it impacts how the body naturally produces dopamine. It, it is just so highly addictive. I, I always tell the story. I'll tell it quickly that, you know, whatever your favorite food is, your body releases about 100 units of dopamine. When you take one hit of methamphetamine, it equals about 1200 units of dopamine. So you can put that into perspective and you always chase the first high. Uh, your first high will be your best one, and that's also why it's so addictive is you're always trying to get back to that feeling of euphoria. Unfortunately, you'll never catch it, and you see the situation we're in today. I want to bring this back to our listeners because so often we hear, well, it's not a problem in my neighborhood or it's not something I'm worried about. It's a north end problem. It's an inner city problem. It's a core problem. So for those listening today, when we're talking about guns and talking about gangs, should I as an average Winnipegger be worried now that there's an increased chance that someone who approaches me on the street just a, who used to be a panhandler or might be just trying to rob me with my purse might also be carrying a weapon. Is that something that's a very real threat? I, I can't say that we have uh, that amount of crime going on currently in the city of Winnipeg. The, the last thing we want is to send out a, a sense of fear and that perception of there. We need Winnipeggers to to come together in a time that we're facing today and, and work in, in partnership with your neighbours and support everyone and, and, and work in collaboration. So, no, I, I can't agree with that comment. But 26 years on the force, have you seen a year like this? This definitely is, is a record for myself, and uh, I can remember uh, being a young constable uh, 26 years ago. If there was a gun call uh, once a month, that was a big deal, and, and sadly, I can say it's, it's almost on a daily occurrence now. The communication is critical, though, right? We have to keep talking. We have to, we have to know what's going on in our community. Is there value to that, Max? There is beyond value in that, and, and you see these community networks. Uh, you know, I don't think people really connect with their neighbours the way they did previously, and, and I blame social media for that and, and cell phones, and, and it's just too easy to communicate where before there used to be a sense of belonging and feeling. Uh, that's what we got to get back to because we all got to take care of, our, of ourselves. So there's a tool, there's something we can all do in the police service, yourself and your guns and gangs unit. Is there something else that you still need? We ask this question all the time. Resources, more police officers, money, what's missing? Well, most certainly we're uh, we're running a very thin line right now uh, with the amount of violent crime that has gone on. Our, our officers are exhausted right now and, and we're running on uh, on full throttle, I can tell you that. So more resources are always warranted. But, but having said that, we need to hear from the community. And, and I can't say this enough. Often uh, individuals maybe feel scared of retribution or they don't want to get involved. But if we don't know what's going on, we can't act on it. And there's only so many of us and we can't be everywhere all the time. Inspector Max Waddell of the Winnipeg Police Service joining us live on 680 CJOB to talk about guns and gangs. Inspector, thank you for this. We appreciate it, sir. Thank you. 
How tech savvy are you? Yeah, and I think depending on who you ask, you can fall on all sorts of sides of the equation. I'm very good at talking and texting on my phone. That's pretty much where it ends. I don't have it loaded with apps. I don't know how to do anything. Like I still load up videos on YouTube to play music because I don't know how to use Spotify. What? I'm admit how terrible I am at some of these Keep things. YouTube, stuff. YouTube is the most popular app for streaming music. Well, so I have no, no idea, and we know in this office we'll bring in new technology to help us streamline communication, and it takes forever for everyone to get on board. Because as soon as we learn it, they switch the system. So there's all sorts of things to talk about when it comes to how liter- literary? literary we are, literacy, when it comes to our digital world. And according to some experts, the digital skills of Canadians aren't as strong as our G7 peers. And that could pose a problem as we move forward in this increasingly digital world. It's exactly why Tech Manitoba is organizing programs to help Manitobans increase their digital literacy and Margot Miller is the program director with Tech Manitoba and joins us now. Good morning, Margot. Hi, good morning. So let's just start with that phrase that I bumbled over, digital literacy. What do we mean by that? Yeah, actually there's no national agreed upon definition of what digital literacy is, but at a basic level, it's um, when you think of literacy, you often think of basic understanding of our language, or maybe you think of math even and having the basics under control so that you can then learn to master that language at a later date. Digital literacy is the same concept. So it's being able to navigate, use, and understand a digital environment. Typically, we're meaning a computer. It could mean also a mobile phone, a tablet, and other devices that are technological as a base. A lot so we- of people see those as toys and, and that, that they're entertainment and distractions. They- don't see them as tools is that part of the fault here is that we're not uh, giving these giving these tools the credit they deserve that, that that there's that divide generationally about how we view these things yeah it's actually really inter- interesting because i think generation is what people assume to be the base of where this dif- divide stems from but in fact like there are many young people that are really good with their cell phones but when it comes to actual literacy on a computer so that true understanding of what's happening with your information how to navigate a digital environment with privacy and security in mind, even young people are kind of are sometimes falling short. Ultimately, though, the big divide that we're seeing in our country and in our province here is that divide of um, kind of haves and have nots. There's people in our country who are very good at problem solving, very good with digital skills at the top level. And then there's quite a large gap, even compared to other countries, to that low level of knowledge when it comes to digital literacy. And those are the people that we're really looking to help with some free computer classes, because otherwise there's that risk that they get left behind. And why should we be worried about that? Is it because if that's part of our economy now? And if we don't know how to use these things, we're, we're going to not have a very thriving uh, industry out there. Yes, precisely. We ultimately are moving in and already really engaging in what is a digital economy. We're banking online to find a phone number you look online. For a lot of government services, even, you have to fill out forms that are online. If you don't have that confidence, you might, you know, miss applying for a job because you're too nervous to try and navigate the computer properly to do it. Or, you know, same thing with those forms and other examples like that. So there is a risk we leave people behind. Are we also... As a society in general, though, making things a little unfair for people who don't have those digital skills, because as you pointed out, a lot of things you have to do it online, but if you don't have access or simply don't have the interest in learning, why should you have to? Yeah, I mean, it's very possible that maybe there is, you know, some onus that we need to take as a society. But ultimately, like we've been through revolutions in the past and different, you know, industrial eras, and we're we're in one now, we're moving into one that is digital and to some degree, it's the nature of like where society's moving. So basically, with that in mind, the federal government and us at Tech Manitoba have said, let's do something about this. There is no formal plan at the federal level right now to upskill population. So this is a big part of that. They, um, We've received funding to be able to give free computer classes across the province of Manitoba, primarily to underrepresented populations or just really those in need of these basic computer skills. So we're from Winnipeg all the way up to Churchill and in many rural areas as well. And basically just giving free intro to computer classes and intro to emails and social media and navigation online so that we can help bridge this divide. There's a divide you mentioned there might be uh, at a certain age level that you, we assume that it might happen. You know, I think of my grandparents trying to navigate their way through computers, but they're slowly learning. And then you mentioned the younger generation might be good on a phone, but not on computer. And then there's the issue of that at the end of the day, this is my phone in my hand is a $500, $600 tool with a plan. It's not a phone. 
Well, it's a computer, it's a computer with a built-in, one of the a, applications is a phone, right? But it's expensive. And so we're making the assumption that everyone has one and therefore everybody has the skills. But you're talking about the, also an economic divide or a socioeconomic divide that might mm-hmm. be out there. That therefore, people aren't gaining those skills and will be left behind as a result. The same they, we, they would if they couldn't read properly. Yeah, precisely. I mean, there's many levels to it. There are programs out there to get people computers at home, to get them a discounted um, internet service to their homes as well. But a lot of those people aren't taking advantage of those services because they don't have the computer skills yet. So it's a bit of a chicken and an egg. We'd like to help upskill them to a level where they're confident enough with computers that maybe then they'll be comfortable taking advantage of some of those services that we have to get computers and internet access into homes. Um, So that's the piece that we're really looking at. And we have also with this program, you know, donated some computers to different remote rural communities and resource groups. We're really trying to partner with a lot of local resource groups in communities so that it's not us coming in and teaching computer courses. It's we've got partners like here in Winnipeg with MITT and up north with University College of the North and in Brandon with Westman Immigrant Services and some of these great groups that already have ties to community. They have a center people are already coming into and comfortable entering into. And so that's some some pieces we put in place early with this program to make sure that instructors as well we're looking to hire instructors in community as much as possible so that again there's that comfort level and people are inclined to come and there are very workshop short classes as well so they're nine hour classes as opposed to a big long month multi-month course just to get people those little bits and pieces to break in and break down those barriers you mentioned that social media will be one of the things you'll be teaching and i think some people might say well why the hell would i need to learn social media what's the how's that going to help but social media we're so many of us are using it at work every like i'm on my phone all, throughout the entire show tweeting facebooking putting stuff on instagram and if i because if i didn't do that there we're, we're at risk of being left behind as a radio station <laughs> yeah i mean when it comes to marketing and tools like that we certainly are you're right and then the other piece of social media that we want to teach is really that privacy piece so if people are going to use it and even you know you mentioned your grandparents earlier and or your parents grandparents yes those many of them are engaging with social media and they're using it wrong or they're not quite understanding what where their information is going and they're putting things up in public places that they think are private. And so a big piece of that is the privacy component that we want to make sure they understand to navigate as We've well. had a conversation here about the difference between uh, having a bike and not having any other sort of transportation. And so when I look at a computer and I see that, that's your gateway to a job for most people. You have to apply online. And mm-hmm. if you don't know how to input the information, you're at a genuine disadvantage yep. uh, without question. Yeah, sometimes you walk in, they actually tell you, go home and do it online, right. please. Yeah. Right, they don't print off job applications, yeah. at least very seldom do they. And application aside, also in Canada right now, 86% of our jobs, including low-skilled labour jobs, require basic um, comprehension of digital tools. So end of the day, like you have to get on board. Yep. So the classes that are starting this week, the first one's at the Millennium Library. November 7th is the first course. It's an intro to email, social media, and privacy. Mm -hmm. Uh, They can find out more where? You can find out more at techmanitoba.ca slash digital, so two L's. Um, but also because there might be a lot of people that are unable to navigate online, um, for that course, you can also talk to the Lifelong Learning Department at MITT, and their phone number is 989-7337. 989-7337. And you mentioned a, a government grant has gone into this. Is this the first of its kind to run programs like these to try to get Manitobans upping their digital literacy? Yes, correct. And it is a federal grant, so there are different groups across our country that are doing similar initiatives might just look a little different than ours. Yep. Margot Miller is the program director with Tech Manitoba, joining us live on 680 CJOB to create a digital-ready Manitoba. Margot, thank you for coming in. We appreciate this very much. I think I'm going to have to take these courses. Yeah? <laughs> what do you need to learn? The Snapchats and the Spotify? I, I don't need to learn Snapchat. I don't care about that. But there, yeah. I just I get very nervous. I get nervous when I have to go online and do things sometimes. Like, I fall in that category. Yeah, I get nervous about some of the stuff, too. So I, I don't even use Spotify. I use Google Play. I don't even know what you're talking about. All those things. It's like, <laughs> rah, rah, rah. We'll help you guys out. <laughs> <laughs> It's time for our weekly Wednesday visit with Hal Anderson. Good morning, Mr. Anderson. Hello, Triple M. How are you? Good. Good. Says in the lineup here, the 34th grade is Canadian of all time, or if he's not available, Hal Anderson. Well, and here I am. I did not put that in the lineup. I want to be clear. I did not do that. Who is cheeky enough to type that? I did not. (laughs) 
Well, Hal, you sent a note out this morning that yeah. I thought was fantastic because it really hit home with me. And so. it's funny because I thought of you as I sent this one out. I thought, you know what? Lauren might want to talk about this. Uh, 25-year-old woman in, in England. She lives in uh, Oxshire, England. Uh, Ox Foxshire. Oxfordshire, Oxfordshire. <laughs> she lives in England, Hal. Talk it England. out. Hello, Hooked on phonics saved me. Hello, M3. How are you today? Good to Great see you over again. Welcome, Where do you want to take us? Uh, anyhow, a woman in England, 25, and uh, she has uh, carved out a little, and it's not very big. You should see the picture. Uh, carved out a little mom cave underneath the stairs. And she did it at first for the kids, thinking, oh, this would be a good spot for the kids. Well, now she is uh, using it. She calls it her... A phone-free mom zone. She says, sometimes moms need somewhere we can escape to and still be near the children to look after them. Sometimes I'll go take myself away for five minutes, give myself some space. Uh, She says that uh, she felt like she needed somewhere to go and uh, then for five minutes and then she can come back and be mommy again to the kids. The picture's hilarious. It's like a tiny space that uh, the kids could barely fit in. So it's under the stairs, right? Right. So she's converted this closet. She's removed the coats and boots, (laughs) spent $22 on a side table, a cushion and a lamp. And she's happily in there reading in this photo. And I laughed when you said this because I was like, yes, like this is exactly right. You don't need a full hour or two hours, but I said in the newsroom to you, I have absolutely stepped into my pantry, which is like a three by two space full of cookies and crackers and soup cans and all the rest and shut the door and sometimes poured myself a glass of wine. I was going to say, you better add that part because I heard that part out in the newsroom. In that space where you can't even (laughs) see anything and just stood there at the glass of wine and gone. Yeah. Well, you want to be close to the kids, you right? You got to you got to make sure you're around. I mean, you're not a bad parent, but sure. I mean, guys have man caves. Kids have their their playrooms and, and all that stuff. Why shouldn't mom have a, a place? Yeah, this one this one doesn't look big enough, but I like the idea yeah. of recharging. And then Brett, you brought up a great point when you saw it too. Uh, like, where is the place well, that people go? Yeah, I think everybody probably has a place, whether it's a cave or whether it's just whatever they call a sanctuary. Although, before I forget, what your story about drinking in the dark <laughs> kind of reminds me. Was, I went to a New Year's Eve party one year, like, I don't know, six, seven years ago. And I was accosted by my friend's kids. Like, I hadn't even walked in the door and one of these kids didn't even know me. I never met her yet. Her name's Mackenzie, but they wanted to play hide and seek. Oh, sure. Brad, Brad, come play hide and seek. Yeah. I'm like, all right, it's New Year's Eve. I like games. Um, but I just like, just like, give me a second to get a drink. So yeah. I went and got a drink, and then I went and hid in like the closet in their laundry room or something. She needed a break, right? It was too much. And I was in there for like a half hour. They couldn't yeah. find me, but I, I was so relaxed. I think, yeah. I, finally, I think I finally came out when I needed a refill. I'm telling you, relaxed. hide and seek is one of the favorite parent yeah. games mm-hmm. because especially if you get to hide, you get yourself a sweet spot, yeah. get yourself a snack, because sometimes it does take them a while and you just... Yeah. Right. Or, or for me, because yeah. I'm not a big, I'm not a big fan of kids. For me, it's not hide and seek, it's hide and go to hell. It's just like, I just go and... I'm kidding. I'm just kidding. Greg looks at me like I'm a terrible person. I'm just kidding. But Greg and I were saying off air, we've both done this, where you have to run out in the vehicle or whatever, and I'll pull over. I'll grab a coffee. I'll pull over in a parking lot somewhere. I'll get a little bit of work done on my phone. I might put my head back for five or ten minutes during a busy day. Yeah, I think we all need a break, right? Whether it's under the stairs or in the truck when you're out doing errands or or whatever it is. Well, in this era of taking care of your mind, not just your body, but taking care of your mind, like it's a really fascinating question. Is there a space or a moment or a spot that gives you that three minutes where you can like take a breath? And it might be to do work. It might be to read a book. It might be to do nothing, Mm -hmm. right? Well, when they took the subways out of Home Depot... I was thinking, maybe they're putting in a sports bar. Right. What a great combination. Yeah. Home Depot and a sports bar. What's taking you so long at the Home Depot? I couldn't find what I was looking for. <laughs> <laughs> you know, maybe there's some marketing opportunities there. Maybe. But we all yeah. need sort of that, that little sanctuary, that little opportunity to get away. In the restaurant business, it was literally the walk-in cooler. Oh, yeah. When you were having a rough night and yeah. things were overwhelming, it'd be like you'd point to a couple of your buddies and... You know, guys, we just need to chill out. There yeah. might have been beverages involved Maybe. of uh, alcohol variety. One or two. But the point was just to yeah. get 
away from the mayhem that was going on, mm. sort of recalibrate, reset the conversation, and it, and it worked yeah. fantastically. So I may carry this on on my show after 1 o'clock this afternoon. You know, how do you take a break? Where do you take a break? You know, because I think we all do need a break. Not just moms, although moms are probably at the top of the list. Or do people in your life recognize when you need a break as right. well, which I think is also yes. important. You say it to kids. Yep. Do you need a little quiet time right now? Do you want to just come with the... Uh, do you want to just yep. go read a book or something? My own kids, we have this giant like five foot bunny that my brother got us and it's super comfortable it's like a big Ooh, like a, just a big pillow and every once in a while my oldest will say mom do you want me to set up a relaxed spot with bunny <laughs> and i will be like yeah yeah i do is that when she goes grabs the wine out of the fridge <laughs> yeah, for you no you know, no hopefully we don't get there but but the bunny i mean the point yeah. being is that he can see if i'm having right. a yeah, moment yeah. of he knows of, right it's, it's the same it's recognizing in others do you need a break? That is so empathic. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. Plus, I it's comfy. That. I think, I'll be honest, I don't think it's super altruistic. I think it's also, if I if mom's relaxed, maybe a show comes on, maybe some popcorn comes out, maybe we all just get to hang so out sinister together. sinister as well? I yeah. think it's just a little bit, you know, works for everybody. Yeah. Okay. I actually do this every day after the show. I go, we have these little sort of satellite production studios, and I just go in there, A, because I, I need to... Do a couple need to sort of hammer a few things out after the show, but B because it's quiet. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I just need you know at least 10, 15, 20 minutes of quiet time where I can just calm down after the show and get my work done. And then once my work's done and I've had a minute to take a breath, I come back out and stop being antisocial. It's not antisocial. It's a nice. Yeah. It's not a nice room. It's a quiet room. It's I dark. Think it's, I think it's a smart move. It's a good. You should thing. get a lock on that door though. I like to burst in there once in a while. Yeah, I always feel bad. No, I always feel, feel bad, bad when I knock on it. There uh, was one time. There was one time where Greg came in and he had, he was the sixth person who had come in <laughs> and I think I I think I said well you're number six yeah. so might as well I just about turned around and uh, did a pirouette and walked right out of there uh, Scott says uh, this is for you Hal yes. uh, Worcestershire sauce yes you, you, have you always have you been able to Worcestershire pronounce that Worcestershire is the I way my say, mom used to I say, say it. Worcestershire. We'll see now. I can't see? say it. Worcestershire sauce. That's all good. Scott says it's pronounced. What's this here sauce? That's what they call <laughs> What's it. What's this here sauce? What's this yeah, here sauce? Good. So there you go. Excellent. All good. Perfect. All right. I need a break from you guys now. I'll be under the stairs. Okay. Goodbye. <laughs> okay. Goodbye. <laughs> Right now, we want to talk about something that is celebrating special women in our province. So this came about a very Manitoba way in a parking lot at at Earl's on Main. (laughs) Bumped into a good friend of mine who introduced me to a good friend of hers. And here we are. And as it turns out, we have a good friend of the radio stations in the studio as well. As we all know, and Shannon Sampert, you know, keep your political hat (laughs) off here. But I'm going to take a little bit of a jab here. As we know, next year is Manitoba's 150th birthday. It's a big deal because we couldn't possibly have an it election is. next year. It's such a big deal. And and you're here to tell us about 150 women that we want to celebrate on behalf and, and at the behest of fellow Manitobans, but also in honour of Nellie McClung. And so with us to tell us about this list and how we're going to build it, Doris May Olton is with the Nellie McClung Foundation, and Shannon Sampert is here as well. She's uh, she's helping with this endeavour. So first of all, why don't we talk about the Nellie McClung Foundation first and foremost, if we could, Doris? So we were, fo- were founded... Um Private Members Bill, Myrna Dreger was behind it, um, to do two things. One was to build the monument that is on the ledge, ledge um, grounds now. Fabulous monument, really talking about the importance of women in the political sphere, getting the vote, Nellie, all of those good things. And Nellie was really, really a significant person in moving us forward. Not everybody got the vote. But it really started the ball, ball rolling. It was the first in Canada and thereafter. But the second part of our mandate was to, it was to celebrate the legacy of Manitoba women. So we thought, what better way to celebrate the 150th anniversary of Manitoba than to get 150 women recognized who've been really pushing development, supporting whatever happened, everything from church bazaars to climbing mountains. And we've got what we really want is we want some of the stories that haven't been told. And we want them to be coming into us so we can put them all together. And we need 150 of them. So there were some criteria for it. They have to be somebody who worked or volunteered or played a role that was first in their field. 
They had to demonstrate. They have to demonstrate leadership, but they also have to reflect the spirit of Nellie McClung. So, Shannon, what does that mean to you, the can, spirit of Nellie? It can be anything. It doesn't necessarily mean political or academic. It doesn't mean uh, credentials or that kind of thing necessarily. It can be anything. So an example of that is a person that I wrote about uh, for that appeared in the Free Press on Monday, and that was Mary Kalekas, who basically, you know, ran a diner and uh, created this kind of legacy on Maine and Portage, uh, the, the, the Kalekas Diner, that that went on to start the folklorama here in, in, in Winnipeg. She was a, a hard worker, demonstrated the sort of a commitment to the D- Dakota the Dakota school that she graduated from and really was working from a diner and created something that we enjoy in August for two weeks uh, as a result of this hard work and dedication to the city of Winnipeg. She's an example of what I consider a trailblazer. Can the nominees be alive? Oh, absolutely. They can be alive. They can be dead. Uh, we don't want... Uh, we also don't, you don't discriminate uh, on life No discrimination. Death, right? we're okay. being, we're all, uh, we also don't want people to think of it as only starting 150 years ago. Because mm-hmm. we know that there are some women who are involved in the, the, tra- the fur trade. We know there were some uh, Indigenous women who were here as leaders. We need some of those stories, too. And it doesn't so. have to necessarily be written down. Like, there are a lot of stories that are oral history that you know your great-grandmother was the first... A woman who served as a midwife back up in the in some of the, uh, the, 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 yeah, the may have not made the headlines. Exactly. Exactly. exactly, but we know from the oral history yeah. that a family has told us for years. My 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 grandmother or my great grandmother was the first midwife. Well, tell us about that. Yeah. We understand that's a trailblazer. Doris, mate, why is this important to do and to and to find these women? Because I even myself, every once I raise two boys, they're young, and I will often say things like, "Well, a girl can do that, or a girl might do that better." And they're always like, "Why are you always picking girls?" And I said, "Listen, there has been a lot of years." where women weren't even considered people and we didn't have the same rights as men have always had. And so I'm always going to champion how women need to be strong and, you know, and surround mm-hmm. yourself with women like that. And I find myself, you know, doing that dance because you want your boys to also raise right, up right, and be right, strong. Right. But but why do we still need in this day and age to highlight the stories of those women? That's a really good question. So one of the things that we've been looking at is, is the stories that are around. And the Manitoba Historical Society does a fabulous job. We all know that. But if you look at their memorable Manitobans and you go through them and you try and find women's names, they are not there. Certainly, they, there are some of them there. I don't want to overemphasize that. But in terms of the number of men that are there and the number of women are there, there's a handful. Mm-hmm. And there's, it's, there certainly hasn't just been a handful of women who helped make Manitoba what it is today. So we want people to tell those stories. And it is it is the midwife. It's the women who supported the bazaars. It's the women. Do you know how many women were involved in making our hospitals what they are today? Because they did the stuff that the hospital boards could not afford to do. So it's all those kinds of stories. And they're not there. They're not celebrated. So we want to celebrate. Well, how about the four nuns? who came exactly. and founded the St. Boniface Hospital, right? Absolutely. Uh, all so long ago. And, and I think it's a great opportunity to not only, you know... Honoring women is fantastic, but if you have, for some reason, a problem with that, and I can't imagine why you would, but some people, you know, we don't need to do this anymore. Just celebrating the first that Manitoba has been a part of, I think, is a great offshoot of this. Absolutely. And one of the women on this list is Elizabeth Parker, right? The Uh. founder, co-founder of the Alpine Club of Canada. The Alpine Club of Canada found in Winnipeg, yes, yes, at the Fort Gary Hotel back in, I think, in 1906. And, like, who would have thought? There's no mountains for miles, but <laughs> the Alpine Club was founded here in Winnipeg. So it allows us also to explore some of those other stories that have maybe been, been lost in, in over time and from our history. That's right. Um, and actually, every Monday, uh, I write about these amazing women in the Winnipeg Free Press. And on Tuesday, if there's no paper on Monday in the Winnipeg Free Press, you'll hear about Elizabeth Parker, but she was remarkable in that she actually did find that, as you say, that club in Winnipeg, remarkably, because she walked into the Manitoba Free Press at the time, told John Defoe that she didn't like the way that they were covering literary events, and he hired her on the spot. Wow. And uh, there was a kind of a, a, a push going on at that time to get the Alpine Club of America to get membership, and she thought, no, we need a Canadian membership. She, she pushed for it. She had spent 18 months in Banff because she was sick. 
and thought, no, we're going to have a club here in Canada because of the nationalism. And her husband worked uh, for the CN Rio and got a whole bunch of people to, to Winnipeg, and that's how they formed the club. It was a remarkable story. You can read about it in the Free Press on Tuesday. And I think that we just spent the past three minutes shouting out every woman we could think of that <laughs> is deserving of this world. world award? Would you call it that? Reward? Um, award? Recognition. 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 And also the ones that we can't think of because we've kind of done a lousy part in some respects of keeping track of our history and and we only can seem to find things now if it was ever mentioned in a newspaper article but you talked about the idea that there's a whole host of people that, that we've heard about through time that might deserve recognition. And so in studio with us we have, uh, we already said this didn't we? I'm like blanking right now. That's okay. Doris okay. may open. So Doris, no. that's the question for you now. Is there, it, when it came to kind of creating this trailblazer event was it already because in your back of your mind you were like we need to do more to recognize some of the women in this province absolutely last year we started a tail trailblazer speaking series and what we found it's shannon and as susan thompson were the first speakers in it but what we really discovered is that there were lots of stories that simply weren't being told and we think this is the time to tell them and it's the way to tell them so we, <clears throat> we well, there will be a recognition event on may the 1st at the manitoba museum <clears throat> they're partners with us as it's a free press but then we'll have a book and the book will also chronicle those names and at the back of the book will be all the names that have been so if they don't make the 150 list there still will be a record of their names that we can we can put stories to that's an important part of the puzzle shannon in terms of just it's about recognizing people but i think it's about keeping the names in the conversation and, and it's like you know when you have a history book in school how many names can you think of that mm -hmm. you notary manitobans but they might be more men than women or 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 outside of manitoba really that's right and and it's not just the you know white anglo-saxon protestant names either we want is we want to also look at women that are francophones we want to look at the icelandic tradition within uh, canada within Manitoba. We want to look at the uh, Indigenous names. We also want to look at transgender uh, uh, women in, in Manitoba. There are interesting stories from all different uh, communities within Manitoba that need to be recognized and their voices need to be heard. Too often we hear from one stream and not the other and it's really an important time to actually uh, honour all of these women and all of their voices because they're important. Mm -hmm. You mentioned the oral history, like uh, if someone in your family who had was did something great. Yes. What if all you have is oral history? Um, we're fine with that, as, as the, they just need to tell us what they know about grandma or great grandma, and if they have any kind of things like you know, my my mother has a bunch of uh, of uh, calendars from my or diaries from my grandmother, and if you can provide us with scanned uh, calendars or showing uh, or notes from community meetings showing what what your what your grandma or your great grandma did just to sort of document it or even just tell us the story that you know that's enough information for us to document that you believe your grandmother or your great-grandma or whatever is a trailblazer we're interested in these stories and we know that there have been a whole series of <clears throat> waves of immigration and some of those waves when they came didn't have much written background with them so we need those stories too because they're they really are part of what what's help, helped us develop in this uh, in this province. So we need those stories too. So, you know, there was a wave of Polish, there was a wave of Ukrainian, there was a wave now, we've got a current wave of Filipino, there's been a wave of East Indian. We need those stories and we need to know how they have helped build the fiber of this province. Are you ever amazed when you hear some stories? And I think of this often, you know, we'll have an election and it'll be the first premier female, the first the first mayor who's female, and the first are still coming in. And yes. that's kind of sad. It is. It's very it is. sad. It we is. have so much work left to do, oh. and it is very sad. Yeah. More information and to find out how to make a nomination, ournelly.com, or you can email dmolton, dmolton at ournelly.com. That's spelled D M O U L T O N at ournelly.com. The 150 Manitoba Women Trailblazers will be named in conjunction with Manitoba's 150th anniversary on May 12th, 2020. Doris May Olton from the Nelly McClung Foundation and Shannon Sampert, thank you so much for joining us. Thank we you. appreciate this.
But first, we want to speak to the show director of the Winnipeg Ice Fishing Show. His name is Eric Labopa, joining us live in studio. Eric, good morning to you, sir. Morning, guys. Thanks for having me on here. I got to say, anytime I meet people involved in fishing, you guys are always so excited <laughs> to talk about just anything. And it's the most chilled of things in the sense of, like, being quiet with the fish. But then the, the fishers are like, woo! <laughs> and I'm the worst for that. I get really passionate. We start talking ice fishing. I could go for hours. Might as well book off the next eight hours and we'll go. We'll continue. Let's do this. But can, I, I think to pick up on Brett's point, can you actually talk about the ice fishing while you're doing the ice fishing in fear of scaring off the fish? Well, the thing about ice fishing is it's a lot more social. A lot of people know some people go only ice fishing on the weekends or maybe once a winter kind of thing, but it's a lot more social than it is in the boat or, say, competitive fishing in the, in the open water, which I do a lot of. Ice fishing is just everybody come out. I won't say we take drinks out there. No, we're always uh, well behaved and everything. But we, we bring hot <laughs> Some people and do. coffee. Some people do. But I mean, it's more about people hanging out because uh, like the four of us would be inside one shack right now in this little space that we're in. Right. And we'd all be just fishing right here. And you just tell stories and, and hopefully someone catches something kind of thing. Usually when I go, we catch a lot of fish. <laughs> fish stories right he's now. Right? <laughs> and they're all like three feet long. Long. Yeah. People who know me know that that is exactly not true. So how did you get into this? Because you were telling us uh, in before you came in, your background's Filipino, so you, your you, your ancestors at least come from a country that wouldn't have ice. No, not fishing. at all. No, so, <laughs> only in their drinks. <laughs> so, so you does you grow up fishing? How does this happen? Like I, I'm born and raised in Winnipeg, born in Mr. Cordy Hospital just down there, and mm-hmm. that overlooks the Assiniboine River, which is frozen right now. Yeah, Greg's all happy about that. Cordy Hospital <laughs> grad. But uh, my dad got me into into fishing in general. He doesn't ice fish. I got him into ice fishing uh, later. I'm pretty early to this. This is about 20 years into ice fishing now. Uh, I got into it because I wanted to fish year-round. I couldn't just wait for May every year. End of October would be a sad day for me. So I go, people ice fish? People do this kind of thing? And I started with fishing with willows. A good friend of mine, Kenny, taught me that you could just grab willows off the shore and you tie a line to it. And that's how I did it on the Red River with a hand auger. And uh, all what's of a sudden that, what's now... That, a, a hand auger? A hand auger is a manual auger that you got to use just your arm strength and you, uh, it's a drill bit, basically, kind oh, of wow. thing with blades on it that you drill your own. And now it's a lot more sophisticated. I like your ad. Like, your, your ad for this contest, the Ultimate Ice Fishing Package, has this person all huddled over a, a hole there and very cool. <laughs> That's a very classic uh, view of ice fishing. It's very sophisticated nowadays where it's actually more expensive. Now, it can be anyway. Uh, you can still fish with a willow or you can fish with thousands and thousands of dollars of electronics and, and equipment and stuff like that so. we were joking this morning that i'm not sure people are and you can answer this are you into the ice fishing because you genuinely like to fish and catch the fish or is it because you like to head out to that shack sit there with your friends <laughs> some people have like tv screens and they'll watch the super bowl in the shack and they'll have like whole cookups and like better than my kitchen party true. would be your it. fishing party we, we look forward to the weekends it all depends on the trip we organize this during the week and we have an agreement on what the trip is supposed to be. If it's supposed to be everyone's bringing recipes and we're cooking out there and we're going to hang out and we're not going to move, we pick a spot. Or it's supposed to be a hardcore trip and everyone who's going to cry, do not come out with us this weekend because we're going to go look for the fish, which means we're going to find us. Like if we have a spot and we don't catch fish in 10 minutes, I'm very impatient. We, we pack up our whole camp and then we move. And sometimes it's only 10 meters this way or sometimes it's eight miles that way. But uh, a lot of work to move. It's a lot of work. Yeah. So it all depends. And then people have to realize what kind of trip it is. Are you bringing your kids or are you bringing your your wife? In other cases, are you bringing your husband? Because some husbands aren't as are into it either kind of thing at hardcores only. Or if it's a fun trip and it's a family event, uh, we go out there and we have uh, we have it all planned. But it could be anything. Ice fishing is awesome. Winters are long. You got to do something in the wintertime. Some of the most passionate fishers in Manitoba are women. I mean, this does not discriminate. Oh, definitely. So it's a growing demographic. It's giant. And some of the biggest personalities right now coming out of Minnesota, North Dakota are women. And they have giant social media followings and shows and stuff like that. So that's awesome. Is there a difference between, I get that there's a difference between ice fishing and going out on the lake. I understand the basic (laughs) difference. Is it harder to do one over the other in the sense of the fish bite as quickly? Do you get as many as much action it's almost a complete different sport you're you're limited to fishing on top of them kind of thing it's a vertical presentation kind of thing unless uh, there's other situations where people are fishing on open water or cracks but well that's that's in depth that's like way way next level ice fishing but ice fishing is a different sport from the open water in that you have to be very on top of them kind of thing so all your presentations are vertical like i said so it's different lures and stuff like that different rods different equipment and then of course the cold factor and uh and you wouldn't think that the wind affects fishing, but actually affects everything under the ice as well and all kinds of stuff like that. But a lot of it, like I said, is just getting out there and, and hoping for the best. For the most people, that's what it is. If you, you can talk all the science you want in biology and everything, but you're just out there doing something 
in the winter time and hopefully catching fish. That's the biggest thing with ice fishing. Is there any skill, like, or how much skill? I guess. Oh, don't get me into this. I've, I've written thesis papers on this. That, he just said that, it was a sport. There <laughs> is an element of luck because you're dealing with animals, of course, kind of thing. But there is a lot of skill involved in fishing in general and ice fishing. But is there luck? There, there is luck as well or whatever, but there is skill involved, especially the guy who's drilling the holes and, and, and picking the spots and stuff like that, I would argue is the person who's applying the skill element to it. And what then, do you base the, where you drill the hole on? What do you uh, base that on? Past experience, mapping nowadays. Manitoba has been neglected for the longest time without having any kind of topographical maps, like accurate ones, aside from the government ones. But uh, companies now like like Humminbird and Angler's Edge Mapping are doing some very, very good detailed mapping of our lakes and rivers in Manitoba. So a lot of it is based on that. And you, you go by seasonal biology and migration patterns and stuff like that. It gets into it. And, and you got to be on the right depth. Like sometimes you're over 12 feet of water and all the fish are biting in nine feet of water. You wouldn't think that three feet would make a difference. But uh, like my wife is say every every inch counts so you can't just go out for, <laughs> you can't <laughs> you can't just go out and say Don't i put like a mic this in front of me. i like this spot you you have to know where you're going you have to have done your research before you go out and pick your spot yes but definitely so i would argue that there is a lot of skill involved but anyone can catch when everyone who attends ice derbies which is a manitoba pastime that's a long time manitoba pastimes ice derbies anyone can win that oh there there are people who've uh, not even paying attention who've won Thousands and thousands of dollars at ice really? How do we follow you? You're on Instagram? I am on Instagram. Uh, Winnipeg Ice Fishing Show is on Instagram, on Facebook, and we've got our website, WPGIceFishingShow.com. I'm, I'm just looking at my friend uh, Shauna Lowe's uh, Instagram page. Oh, yeah, she's page a fantastic here. She's got 11.3 thousand uh, followers on Instagram. Her handle is Canadian underscore Fishing Addict. And, uh, I mean, you couldn't meet a nicer person than Shauna, and she just lives for this stuff. Oh, she does, and she hunts as well, and she yeah. open water fishes. She'll be at the show this weekend, actually. Fantastic. Most important question, do you eat what you catch always? I used to eat more. I get very lazy to clean fish nowadays unless my girls are so asking for to make up. Most of the time, it's catch and release. Uh, but I will take take fish. And then speaking of that, we'll have cooking demonstrations all weekend long at the show, open till close both days. So we've got a lot of angling chefs locally that will be preparing and different ways to prepare walleye, actually. It's not the cooking so much. It's the getting those bones out. You got to be good at that. Definitely filleting. so. And we've got some experts at the Walleye Filleting Championship this year, actually. Some uh, four or four guys who uh, is know Is that their part stuff. of the show? It is part of the show. It's the first ever Walleye Filleting Championship. That's brilliant oh, idea. Oh, yeah, yeah. So we're going to see some guys are filleting fish in under nine seconds. That's right on. A, that is a cool skill. Yeah. I've seen some nine people seconds. do it. No bones either. Nine seconds? <laughs> nine seconds. Good Lord. Wow. That would wow, be impressive we'll see. To we're going to time this. We're going to see. And there's penalties for bones and stuff like that. So we'll, we'll see how it goes. What how a great idea. Yeah, so yeah. Red River Exhibition Place, it's on Saturday and Sunday. Kathy Kennedy is going to be there, by the way, Saturday from 9 until 1. So if I want to get into ice fishing and I want to come down to Red River X Place, uh, it's Saturday, Sunday from 10, 10 until 6 Saturday, 10 to 5 on Sunday. Should I have a plan of attack as to where I should start? Like if I'm a beginner, I know nothing about this, but I want to get into it. When I walk in, where should I go? Uh, we have our, the biggest companies are Clam and Eskimo that we have. They have some giant booths, and then we have Otter as well, and we've got two stores there, the Fishing Hole and Lake of the Woods Sports Headquarters. Those would be the places that you would target first because they have everything that you would need to get started, whether, like I said, it's at high level or just at the beginner level. And there's all kinds of other small businesses. There's, there's, if you're into jigs, Big Sky Flies and Jigs, for example, sells everything from, like, little tiny jigs to, to big jigs that are going to catch big fish kind of thing. So there's all kinds, everything. You name it, it it's there. WinnipegIceFishingShow.com is the website. Eric Labopa is the show director. And, Eric, why don't, why don't we get Eric to read what's in the Ultimate Ice mm, Fishing please. Package? Because we, you got way more enthusiasm. We were joking this morning, Eric. We're I like, get it excited over this stuff. Well, we were like, it's an ice fishing segment. Hopefully, he'll be enthusiastic. <laughs> you don't need much. I got Joke's Starbucks here, but it does, I don't need coffee to get excited over fishing. Yeah, we got the ice fishing starter package. It's a Cabela's two-person insulated hub shelter, one Eskimo pistol bit auger. That'll drill the holes for you, and that's a power one. Any old uh, DeWalt or Milwaukee drill will do it. Uh, we got a sled to pull everything in, two tourney trail ice combos, uh, two chairs to sit in, and a deluxe rod bag to put those rods inside. Well, you paint such a picture. <laughs> Call number five. I feel like I'm there already. We got to get you guys on the ice. Let's do this. Hey, thanks for listening to the Start Podcast. We are available on Apple Podcast, Google Podcast, wherever you find your favorite podcasts. Subscribe now and never miss an episode. And if you like what you hear, rate the show, tell us what you think. 
And hey, even tell a friend about the podcast. Be sure to follow us on Twitter and Instagram. Greg is at GMACWPG. That's G-M-A-C-K-W-P-G. I am at Brett McGarry, B-R-E-T-T-M-E-G-A-R-R-Y. And Loren on Twitter is at McNab on Global and on Instagram at McNab on CJOB. Talk soon.